This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. I trust you're having a uh, good day on this uh, miserable old day. Be careful on the roads out there. Exercise some caution. I know, Claudette, yesterday we were talking about the big slowdowns and backlogs of traffic in CBS because of the work underway on the Peacekeeper's Way. And uh, seeing the chatter back and forth, people talking about it, some people even saying that they, I don't know how true this is, but some people even saying they abandoned their cars, they actually parked in parking lots and walked home because it wasn't worth the aggravation or the time. Uh, I don't know if that's just hyperbole or truth. Anyway, exercise some caution. Now you know that the work is underway and will be for the next little while, uh, this week and into next. Uh, so uh, you may want to try and find an alternate route. And that being the Trans-Canada Highway and maybe going through Holyrood might be an option for some people. It might be an option. Expect a little added traffic in Holyrood too. So uh, be aware of that. And uh, if you are traveling that route, uh, just uh, show some patience uh, while traveling through communities as well. Well, on the uh, international front. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie says the Canadian government will airlift Canadians in Israel out of the region starting this Friday. Three Canadians are dead, three more missing in the region. Jolie will not confirm whether any Canadians are among those kidnapped and being held by Hamas. The federal minister addressed reporters in Ottawa this morning, indicating that more than 4,000 Canadians are registered as living in Israel. Another close to 500 people are in the West Bank and Gaza. Here's some of what she had to say this morning. As we continue to watch the horrors unfold, I want first to begin by saying that I extend my condolences to all of those who have lost loved ones following the terrorist attacks in Israel. The pain and suffering that we continue to bear witness to cannot be measured. Young lives have been cut short, families have been ripped apart, and it is absolutely heartbreaking. It is being felt in homes and communities across Canada. Le Canada condamne sans équivoque l'attaque terroriste du Hamas contre Israël. Nous soutenons Israël et son droit à se défendre conformément au droit international. Nous savons également que le Hamas n'est pas le peuple palestinien. Il ne représente pas leurs aspirations et n'offre rien d'autre que davantage de chaos, de pertes et de chagrin. La violence doit cesser, les otages doivent être libérés et les vies civiles, israéliennes et palestiniennes, doivent être protégées. Canada unequivocally condemns the terrorist attack by Hamas against Israel. We stand by Israel and its right to defend itself according to international law. We also know that Hamas is not the Palestinian people. It does not represent their aspiration and offers nothing more than more chaos, loss, and heartache. The violence must end, hostages must be released, and civilian lives, Israeli and Palestinians, must be protected. Tragiquement, dans ce contexte de violence, trois Canadiens sont morts. Et j'ai eu l'occasion de parler avec la famille d'Alexandre Luc hier, et je dois vous dire que ça a été un des appels les plus difficiles que j'ai eu à faire de ma vie. My heart is with his family and the families of the others. My thoughts are with their loved ones and their community. 
May their memory be a blessing. We continue to follow reports of three Canadians who remain missing. We're in contact with their families, providing support, and officials are in contact with local authorities to gather more information. I would like to now speak directly to Canadians who are currently in the region. They're scared. It is a time of great uncertainty and of great anxiety. But I want you to know that we are here for you. We're working around the clock to provide you with the information you need and the support you're asking for. Our office in Tel Aviv and Ramallah are open. Our team is there and our team Sorry about that. Uh, that got cut off a, a little too soon, uh, but she uh, listed quite a number of contact information. If you know of anyone in Israel that needs to contact uh, Global Affairs Canada, we have all of those links on at vocm.com. Meanwhile, Jolie also addressed the humanitarian needs in the region. I would like to I would take like a moment to, take a to moment. speak about the situation in Gaza, where civilians are living amidst extremely difficult circumstances. The humanitarian situation in Gaza was dire before this weekend, and this will only deteriorate the situation further. As I said yesterday, this will get worse before it gets better. My heart breaks for the deaths we have seen, and then share the anxiety about what will happen next. We urge all parties to respect international humanitarian law and to provide humanitarian access to Gaza. Canada will continue to support the humanitarian needs of the Palestinian civilians. Let me be clear, Israeli and Palestinian civilians deserve to live in peace and safety with their human rights, human rights respected and with dignity. And Canada will always work with this in mind. So with that in mind, and you heard uh, Noah Shepard reference this in VOCM News just a short while ago, residents in Gaza facing ever-growing uncertainty after the territory's only power plant ran out of fuel and shut down. Israeli airstrikes left entire neighborhoods demolished and hospitals in the Gaza Strip struggling to treat the injured with dwindling medical supplies. The plant ran out of fuel on Wednesday. The war has claimed more than 2,200 lives on both sides and is expected Expected to escalate. The weekend attack that Hamas said was retribution for worsening conditions for Palestinians under Israeli occupation has inflamed Israel's determination to crush the groups holding Gaza. Foreign governments are tallying their dead and missing as the latest Israel-Palestinian war stretches into its fifth day and uh, very distressing to say the least. Uh, a lot of people watching the unfolding horror there uh, with great concern and dismay. Well, coming up, concerns about the level of transparency involved in future hydro development in Labrador. This is News Talk on VOCM. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. And uh, back to international matters for a moment with the ongoing hostilities um, involving Israel and Hamas. Um, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has joined a meeting of more than 50 defense leaders from around the world to make a personal pitch for military aid in the war against Russia. 
Russia. Political support in the United States has been lagging, and allies are now under pressure to send weapons to bolster Israel in his war with Hamas. Zelensky's presence Wednesday at the meeting in Brussels underscores growing concerns about cracks in what's been staunch international backing for Kyiv as Ukrainian forces have not made measurable progress in a counter-offensive. So uh, what's happening globally is having uh, ramifications throughout the world, and uh, we're continuing to watch all of that as it unfolds. Well, a little closer to home, the independent MHA from Mount Pearl Southlands is among those questioning the level of government transparency related to uh, hydro development talks with Quebec. Well, I've reached Paul Lane, who's vacationing in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, good afternoon, Paul Lane. Good afternoon, Linda. How are you doing this afternoon? Good, good. Thanks for joining us while you're on vacation. So, we're uh, we've been hearing, or it seems primarily we've been hearing about uh, the possibility of Gull Island being uh, developed. Not to mention uh, changes to the Upper Churchill contract, primarily from the Premier of Quebec. Is that a concern to you? Um. I'm not. I'm not concerned so much that discussions are happening. Uh, I don't think it would be any surprise. I think you know many people who have been following the you know the Churchill River and the Upper Churchill contract you know would say that you know when you're talking about a project of um, you know that magnitude and 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 the agreement that's in place that you know while you and I on day to day business you know you might think in terms of weeks and months and so on. But when you're, you know, planning, a, you know, electricity grid like that and, and, and to see the changes that would be coming, I'm not at all surprised that we would be talking about it uh, at this time. Because, you know, it's not something that you just, it's not a deal that you would put together in a few weeks or, or a few months. And, and you, you're going to want some certainty. I'm sure Quebec is going to want some certainty. We're going to want to know where we stand. So not concerned or surprised that there's discussions. A little concerned, though, about the fact that, uh, you know, as you say, the Premier of Quebec has been very forthcoming uh, about the fact that these negotiations have been going on, uh, while our own government and our Premier have been pretty tight-lipped about the whole scenario. And I I guess, and I understand that, you know, if you're in talks and negotiations, you can't, you know, uh, necessarily, you know, bring everything forward to the public at, you know, at, at... particularly, you know, while you're in negotiation stages per se, um, and let let you know all the details. But at the very least, I think that uh, it it would have been, I think it would have been the right thing for the Premier to have done would have been to be, you know, similar to the Premier of Quebec and let us know from the onset that, you know, negotiations are happening, that it is potentially involving goal and so on, and giving us some sense of, where we're to with those discussions uh, and when there may be some sort of a uh, uh, potential uh, agreement uh, brought forward for the people uh, to consider. So as you say, uh, the Premier, and he has said this himself, you know, he doesn't want to negotiate in public because you don't know what you're going to say, is whether it's going to influence things and uh, take on a life of its own, so to speak. But what would you like to see him do? 
Well, certainly, I think that you know when when we get to it. Well, I'd like to. I would like for him to certainly acknowledge the fact, as the Premier of Quebec has done, acknowledge the fact that we are into in discussion. So that it's not just rumours, or that we're not hearing it from the Quebec media. Uh, I, I think it would be good to acknowledge that. It would be good to acknowledge whether or not um, um, Gull Island is part of the discussions, whether or not uh, Muskrat Falls may potentially. Uh, be part of that discussion, and certainly once we're to a point, and this is this is the more critical point for me. Once we're to a point um, that a potential deal um, is being reached or could be reached, then you know before uh, any pen goes to paper and any deals are signed, I really think there has to be you know public scrutiny of what is being what has been negotiated, and I really think it belongs in the House Assembly as well for a uh, fulsome debate on whatever any potential deal might look like. We've had situations in the past, as you know, whether it be with the Upper Churchill or certainly in most recent memory, in Muskrat Falls, uh, which, had, you know, which admittedly I was on the government side at the time when that went down, and you know where things were, people would argue, rushed through, uh, the proper oversight was not necessarily well it wasn't uh, in in place, and that scrutiny wasn't put there the way it should have been and an oppor- and an opportunity for meaningful uh discussion and debate amongst the public and and uh, and certainly you know through the House assembly with all the information being provided all the accurate information i should say being provided uh, and we see where that got us. So, you know, I'm not certainly not gun shy um, because of that. Uh, I'm not gun shy about entering into negotiations with anybody on any development, including Quebec, if it's going to benefit the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. But it has to be done in an open and transparent way. Uh, people, it needs to be scrutinized. People need to have their say. And certainly it would have to, in my view, go through the House Assembly for that fulsome public debate so that we make sure that any deal that we're going to get into, whether it be on the Upper Churchill, Gull Island, or anything else uh, that could happen in the future, to make sure that any deals done are done properly and in the best interest of the people so that we don't find ourselves, after the fact, um, you know, uh, in uh, an untenable position, which we have found ourselves in in the past. Uh, concerning as well that uh, as of last week, the Inu Nation uh, still had not uh, been part of any discussions on Gull Island. Yes, absolutely, and of course, any—I mean, you know—any deal that would be reached on Gull Island absolutely has to uh, include our Indigenous uh, partners. And uh, yeah, to you know to. To hear about the fact, if I were, you know, if I were part of the new nation and I was hearing about the fact that, you know, that potentially there's significant discussions going on involving the development of Gull Island and no one's even telling us anything about it, I would be very, very concerned. Um, so, you know, and, and that's what I mean. And, and perhaps, you know, perhaps we're only still into preliminary discussions um, and we're not at a stage where all that's going to happen. Maybe that's the case. It certainly seems, though, if you listen to the Premier Legault of Quebec, he certainly gives the impression that we're beyond just uh, informal discussions. It certainly sounds like 
um, you know, that there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes. And uh, so, you know, I, I think I think the premier of this province certainly owes it to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, considering that these are our, our assets and our resources and, and you know, this is going to have huge impacts um, on our, you know, financial and economic future, depending on which way it goes, good or bad, of course. And, of course, as I said, our Indigenous people as well. And uh, so, uh, you know, I think... I think that, you know, we need some sort of a progress report, at least to give us a sense of where they are at in discussions, just how serious these discussions are and at what, you know, kind of stage we're at and some sort of a potential timeline. I'm not saying to nail anything down hard and fast, but a potential timeline. Like, what is it exactly you're talking about? What potential timelines do you have in place? What work has has been done or is being done? to you know to 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 try to develop some kind of an agreement is it just the upper churchill is it involving um gall island uh, is Moscow falls in any way involved in this uh is the federal government uh a partner in this are the feds involved in this uh just to give us a sense of exactly you know without all the details at least let us know what's going on and what we could possibly expect and as I say, once we get to a point where if there is such a deal uh, that would come forward, well, obviously, I think it needs to have full public scrutiny, as I say, and uh, fulsome debate in the House of Assembly. We cannot get this wrong. We've gotten these things. You know, our history with mega projects haven't been great, uh, as, uh, as everybody knows. And um, as someone who has to you know, my name will always be on that vote. You know, it'll always be enhanced that I voted in, fa- in favor of Muskrat Falls, albeit I did it out of in good faith, based on you know what I was being told by people who I thought uh, were giving me accurate information and knew what they were doing. Um, but you know, I ended up on the wrong side of history on that one. I don't intend on that happening again. That doesn't mean I won't support a deal. Because I absolutely will support any deal that makes sense and is in their best interest. But it has to be scrutinized to the fullest extent, has to be debated, and I need assurances beyond just, you know, the Premier or Miss Williams or someone saying, oh, yeah, Paul, that's a good deal. We should, you should vote for that. That ain't going to cut it. Um, and, and I'll be looking for lots of detailed information, and I hope it will be provided before any deal would be signed. Paul Lane, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Not a problem, Linda. Always a pleasure. Have a good day. And that is uh, Paul Lane um, on his way home now uh, from vacationing in Nashville, Tennessee, and all ready for the House of Assembly to open, no doubt, this coming Monday. Well, uh, Claudette, this story uh, is one that uh, VOCM News has been following, and um, Noah Shepard has had on the air now a 34-year-old man from Quebec, Luigi Giovanni Yatako, who was arrested and charged last week in connection with the so-called grandparent scam in Gander, now facing uh, numerous other charges. Last week, you may recall, the RCMP received seven separate reports of a suspected scam, three of those reports involving incidents where the victims had actually handed over large amounts of cash 
to the scammer, believing they were helping a grandchild who was in trouble with the law. As part of the investigation, police seized a vehicle associated with Yataco on the day of the arrest. That was on October the 5th. A search warrant was authorized. This is uh, from an RCMP release. And the vehicle was searched. Inside the vehicle, officers recovered three separate quantities of cash matching the amounts provided by each victim the money will be returned to the rightful owners yes i'm so surprised that it had a good ending yes absolutely um it, it just so happened that you know they they got this in time yeah, and, and I love the fact that the police are putting out a almost like a public awareness campaign. Like if, if you know, notice maybe you work at a bank or you overhear, you know, a, a senior about to take out large amount of money, like ask a few questions just to make sure. And the more seniors who are aware of the grandparent scam are probably not are going to think twice before letting their uh, money go. But that's great that... Uh, that person was able to be apprehended. I'm really surprised by that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, let's be clear. These scammers are very good, good and they're, yeah. at what they do. So don't feel like a fool uh, for having fallen for it because they're good. They're really good. And I've had calls from people who have almost been scammed who have said, you know what? I knew it was a scam, and yet something in me still said, what if this is my granddaughter Mm -hmm. or my grandson? And, you know, the things that they were saying sort of matched. Sometimes the things were a little off, which is what twigged the people who we were talking to, Mm -hmm. to the fact that it was a scam. But they're very clever. They find ways. There's social media, other um, methods that they can find out who belongs to you. Yeah, and and sometimes they can find out that just little nugget of information that would make you think, oh, yeah, sure, it has to be so-and-so. Who else would know that? Yeah. Nan, Nan, I just came back from Las Vegas. You wouldn't believe what happened to me. I need your help. Yeah. Right? You're going to, some people, in those emergent situations, you're going to react first and think later. So the more people that know about these scams, the better. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, so glad to hear that the people who had their money scammed from them are, are going to be, are what not a, out. What that a wake-up call. Yeah, wow. It's still happening out there, folks. We, we warn about these things all the time. They are extremely convincing. Never give any information on the air. Uh, you know, if somebody calls you out of the blue and says, Nan, do you know who this is? And then you end up saying, Melanie? Right, and, and then they yes, have Yes, yeah. it's Melanie. Right? Maybe you could just pretend with a fake Tell me number. who this is. Yeah. Tell me who you are. And then if they don't, if they try to come up with ways to get you to say the name instead, you're pretty sure it's that a scam. That it's a scam, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll hear more about that story uh, today and into tomorrow. We're up to news time now with Noah Shepard. This is News Talk on VOCM. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. Thank you to Claudette and Noah. Well, it's been stop and go over the last few years, but work on Sonova's massive concrete gravity structure for the West White Rose project is finally nearing completion in Argentia. Reporters, including VOCM's Brian Callahan, got a tour of the seven-story structure today and had a chance to have this chat. 
Sure, yeah, my name is Mike Rudofsky. I'm the director for the CGS and Interface Integration and SimOps, and uh, my last name is R-U-D-O-F-S-K-Y. Okay, so how proud are you, I guess, to be standing here today with this project in the background here? Uh, yeah, very proud. Um, you know, this project started uh, quite a while ago. I've been involved since day one. Uh, so now that we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, I'm, I'm very proud and very excited that this uh, project is, is coming to an end. Um, like we said earlier, so 2025 will be will be finished up and floating out, and uh, that'll be a very proud day for sure. What phase of the construction are you at right now? Uh, for the CGS portion, we're just over 80% complete on the CGS. Uh, the entire project is about 70% complete. It wasn't always uh, smooth sailing for this project. There was a, there was a delay. Um, how much of a relief is it for, for the people who have worked on the, the project since the beginning, like yourself, to have made it to the point you're at today? Uh, yeah, it was it was certainly a relief um, once we got the restart notification there. Uh, I guess last year, last May, um, it was a very exciting time. Just kind of coming to the realization that we would be able to finish this project. Uh, we just had a tour of this, and I'm not an engineer, but I'm in awe of whoever designed this and, and the people who are building it. So, just put it in perspective for the average person out there, uh, how special this is, what, what you're what you're creating here. Yeah, it's definitely an engineering marvel. Um, this is the third of, of obviously of three structures that have been built here in the province now. Um, ours is a little bit different because it's a fully dry build. Uh, Hibernia and Hebron were a dry wet build uh, so they actually when they got to a certain height they went out into the water and as they got higher they went down into the water. Uh, we're, we're doing our structure completely in the dry uh, and we'll be floating out like I said in, uh, in 2025. Can you walk us through some of the numbers? We looked at a lot of rebar, a lot of concrete up there. Uh, how much does it all weigh? How much is there? Yeah, so the total structure is about 200,000 tons. We've got about 35,000 tons of rebar and 5,500 tons of mechanical outfitting inside the structure. Uh, but the total weight of the structure when it floats out of here, it'll be just over 200,000 tons. And can you just take us through the, the, the steps that the, the work in Marystown, the, the work that was done there, plus the work in Ingleside, how that will be attached to this structure? Yeah, so the, the mating actually happens at the offshore location. Um, the pieces that were built in Marystown were the living quarters, the helideck, the flare boom, and the lifeboat stations. Uh, they were brought down to Ingleside a couple of years ago. They've since been incorporated into the topsides. The topsides will come up in 2025, and it'll meet the CGS at the offshore location, and that's where the mating will take place. And what's the purpose? Why did you decide to build this structure? Um, one of the benefits, this is a, a drilling rig, one of the benefits of this structure is that we can drill 365 days a year. Uh, previously all our wells were drilled with semi-submersible drill rigs, uh, so this really gives us better efficiency for drilling. How does it change? Uh, White, White Rose is a field that's been operating for years. H how is this going to change your operations offshore in that field specifically? Uh, well, we'll have a we'll have our own drill rig that we'll be obviously drilling, um, and all production will go back to the sea rows. This will really extend the life of the sea rows by about 14 years. So that is Mike Radovsky from Synovus speaking with reporters, including VOCM's Brian Callahan there, who got a tour of this massive concrete gravity structure being constructed at um, Argentia for the West White Rose Project. And I don't know if you've seen any of the images of it, Claudette, but it is absolutely massive. It's like a seven-story 
skyscraper suddenly showing up in the middle of Argentia and the the workplace there. Um, And this is a continuous concrete pour. And just think about that for a moment. You've got this massive thing, and it's all from one continuous concrete pour. It does not stop. It just keeps going round and round and round, and the concrete is going in and making this thing. It's it's, uh, an engineering marvel, as Mike Radofsky admitted to reporters today, and we'll be hearing a lot more about that in the coming days. Uh, over today and into tomorrow morning. So stay tuned for that on the VOCM morning show. Well, the provincial government has officially declared October as Disability Employment Awareness Month. Minister Jerry Byrne signed the document at the Avalon Employment Office this morning. Here's what Byrne had to say. The real work is done by each and every one of you. And so I want to acknowledge that there are many organizations. We're here at Avalon Employment, uh, and this is a fantastic organization that I've become very accustomed to and very aware of and have tried to be very supportive of. But the entire network of supported employment, uh, the supported employment community, has really shown great uh, great grist and, and great capacity throughout their entire province to support people who deserve a hand up. You know, when we talk about uh, employment, about uh, the disability community, we talk a little bit about uh, what our roles could be, what our responsibilities should be. We must recognize that whenever we assist someone into the workforce, we do not just support them. We just we do not just support uh, their uh, their futures and their ability to connect with the community and to make a difference in their own lives. We really have to appreciate, understand, and act on the reality that they raise all of us. The community itself becomes stronger. Their contribution to the community must be recognized. So this morning I am here for two reasons. One is not only to celebrate uh, the disability employment community and all of the hard work that gets done, but also to acknowledge for each and every one of us in Newfoundland and Labrador, the incredible contribution that the 500 plus individuals who are members of the supported employment uh, community that, that are receiving assistance to be able to connect into the community at large, the contribution that they make. So with that said, it cannot occur unless there are people who are prepared to stand up, stand tall, and to give a a helping hand to make sure that that happens. It happens not only here in in our employment uh, offices, but it also happens with the employer community. So I really want to give a huge shout-out to the entire employer community of Newfoundland and Labrador who are engaged and involved in this initiative. Without them, this would not be the success that it is, obviously. So whenever you... Uh, And I say this to all of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. Whenever you encounter, whenever you see a business, whenever you hear tell of an enterprise that is supporting, supported employment, patronize them. Say thank you to them and say that you have earned our business and our trust. And that's one of the things, a key message that I would like to say. So we do that in a very, very coordinated effort now by declaring 
uh, October Disability Employment Awareness Month, because that's what this month is all about, is creating awareness not only for the need, but for the incredible benefit that occurs as a result of all of this. The awareness is twofold. So with that said, I am very delighted to be joined by each and every one of you, representatives of the supported employment community throughout the province, to sign this declaration, this proclamation, declaring October Disability Employment Awareness Month in Newfoundland and Labrador. So that was Jerry Byrne uh, this morning at Avalon Employment, um, declaring officially declaring October as Disability Employment Awareness Month. And uh, we've talked about this numerous times here at VOCM about the benefits of uh, hiring people um, living with disabilities and um, the dedication that they put in the job and how not enough employers seem to know um, about the benefits of hiring people uh, living with disabilities. So um, I, I spoke at length with uh, someone from the Avalon Employment Office uh, earlier today. It uh, aired this morning. And um, yeah, she she outlined uh, some of the many, many benefits uh, uh, um, and people who have gone that route, employers who have gone that route, uh, continue to go that route time and time again because they have seen nothing but uh, remarkable benefits from the program. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Impeccable uh, work ethic. being done. The work yeah. ethic is is amazing. And the punctuality, I think, was brought up as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So uh, there you go. October is Disability Employment, Employment Awareness Month. If you are an employer and you're listening to us now, give that some thought. Give it uh, some consideration. And uh, Avalon Employment uh, is more than happy to hear from you. They can hook you up. Uh, when we come back, uh, former MP joins members of the Innu Nation yesterday who held a news conference in Ottawa. We heard of some of what they had to say, but we're going to hear more from Peter Panashaway when we come back right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at... 7 p.m. on VOCM. And uh, we're just receiving this uh, bit of uh, breaking news. Uh, a Jewish group in the uh, nation's capital says an Ottawa woman has been killed in Israel. The Jewish Federation of Ottawa says Canadian citizen Adi Vital Kaplun was killed by Hamas militants in Israel. And uh, more news on that is coming out in the next little while. So do stay tuned. Well, the Inu Nation is accusing the NCC, otherwise known as the Nunatuavut Community Council, of trying to rewrite history and claim Indigenous rights in southern Labrador to the detriment of the Innu Nation. The Nunatsiavut government, which represents the Inuit in Labrador, does not recognize NCC as an Inuit group, despite their claims as southern Inuit. The Innu Nation calling for the cancellation of an MOU between Canada and the NCC, stating that NCC is capable of holding Section 35 rights under the Canadian Constitution. A federal court hearing was scheduled for today, but that has been postponed. Here's some of what former Innu Nation Grand Chief and uh, former MP Peter Panashue had to say in Ottawa yesterday in describing the formation of the NCC from the Labrador Métis back in the early 1980s when the Innu Nation were fighting low-level flying. We were winning the case and the argument of our violation of our human rights by these low-level flights. And the arguments were made in Europe 
and they were made in Canada. And Canada and Newfoundland were losing the arguments. And what Newfoundland did in 1980 was to create a new indigenous group to help them fight for low-level flying. So they, so they created a Métis group in 1980 to help them make the arguments for low-level flying in Labrador. At that time, LIA, Labrador Inuit Association, was not opposed to low-level flying. They were supportive because of the jobs. And now with the new group of the Métis, they were able to go to, United, to um, Europe and in these particular countries like Germany, Holland, and England, and make the argument that the indigenous groups were supportive of low-level flying and that there were two against one. That was the argument, and that was the birth of the, of the Métis Nation. After the birth of the Métis Nation in 1980s, they started to like the benefits like having access to in, uh, programs and services. So they started making more arguments, more arguments, and their numbers grew. And to a point where they're a political force in Labrador. No government is going to get elected in Labrador unless NCC is supportive. That's the, that's, that's the truth. In most cases, they have been very supportive to, to sitting governments. And that's why the governments are terrified of losing the support of the NCC because they vote as a block. There is no legal argument why they should hold Section 35 of the, uh, of the Constitution. None. And as the lawyers have pointed out, four times they tried and four times they were turned down by the, by the Department of Justice. And they have been using the political argument and, and essentially, Yvonne Jones and others, Lawrence O'Brien, late Lawrence O'Brien, there's others who've made the argument that they're, they're Métis. And very recently, they were told that Métis do not have rights because they cannot make the argument of uh, being here before the Europeans. So within the last 10 years, the Métis have changed their position to being Inuit. Now they're making the argument they were here before the Europeans, therefore they have Section 35 rights, which includes the land claims. That's the argument they've been making. And they've been very, very influ influential because of the politics they hold. The Inuit in Northern Labrador are opposed to them. They don't recognize them. The uh, IKT, uh, is not supportive or the National Inuit Organization is not recognized in this NCC. So nobody legitimate recognizes this group, but yet they keep plowing forward because of the politics. And as I said, they, they hold the, uh, the power in Labrador. There's no uh, MP or MHA is gonna get elected unless they support that group because they vote as a block. And that's the only power that they have. They don't have the legal justification to make that argument, but they do have the political club. And the Inu Nation has now come forward and said, look, this has to stop. We have to tell the truth, and we are telling the truth, and we're gonna convince the Supreme Court 
that the arguments that are being made by NCC are false. They're not uh, founded on, on legal legal uh, terminology and legal reference. It's a political argument. And I think uh, I'd like to argue that, I'd like to believe that the Department of Justice has decided to pull the plug today or tomorrow because they know they are in a very uh, difficult situation. Tomorrow, they would have had to argue that Canada recognizes and supports NCC, and we would have said we didn't. And, and Canada is having problems right across the country because there are people coming forward and claiming to be in, an Indigenous group. It, it's, it seems to be because, and part of the reason, as my mother has said, which is the truth, there is money involved in being an indigenous group, whether it's from government, whether it's from the resources. So now you have people coming from everywhere, uh, declaring themselves or reporting to be an indigenous group because there are benefits. And that's not, it's happening in Labrador, but it's happening right across the country. Someone has to put a stop to this. One thing can be certain, when all of this is over, whether we're poor or not poor, we are going to be Inu people. So that is Peter Panashue uh, speaking in Ottawa yesterday. And not surprisingly, the NCC was very quick to respond to uh, that news conference yesterday, uh, accusing the Innu Nation of spreading misinformation and uh, saying that, uh, you know, they have every right to make these claims and that Indigenous uh, land claims often overlap. It's something that is not uncommon. The Innu Nation, of course, uh, uh, challenging. Um, the NCC's MOU with the federal government in uh, the uh, court and uh, that case was supposed to have started to be heard today which is why they were in Ottawa yesterday but it has been postponed. We'll keep you up to date on all of that. Now Claudette, we heard from somebody because we were talking about the grandparent scam Yeah, and we have a little bit of advice to share. We do. This is from a certified financial planner decided to call in and and uh, his name is Kenneth Bonnell. He's based in St. John's. And uh, he wanted to chat a little bit about the grandparent scam. Let's uh, take a listen. Hi, this message is for Linda Swain. I was just listening to your report, uh, actually a, a great report on uh, some of the victims of a recent scam getting their monies back. And you kind of uh, touched on an issue that... Uh, uh, it's something that's very important. Um, I'm a certified financial planner here in St. John's, Newfoundland, and uh, something that's been suggested to me by different regulatory bodies is that um, when a senior citizen has money, sometimes uh, the uh, institution where that money is held, they should have on file a family representative so that when someone actually makes a large withdrawal or a withdrawal that just seems to be out of sort, the financial institution where the money is held can just pick up the phone and call you know, uh, a family member and say, look, I just noticed that your mom, your dad was actually just taking a, a large deposit out of their account. 
you know, uh, is there, are, are they renovating? Are they putting in a new kitchen? Is, is there something that I should know about? Or, you know, uh, or the family representative could say, look, you know, there's nothing actually on the go. Uh, that's very concerning. Just don't withdraw that money uh, until I have the opportunity to uh, speak with my mom, my dad. And uh, I think that's a very simple solution that uh, would help a lot of seniors uh, not become victims uh, with regards to some of these scams. So that's great advice. Isn't um, it though? Yeah. I, I, uh, and a lot of um, banks do have those kinds of flagging mechanisms when they see something a little unusual. Uh, I know that credit cards, for instance, do have those kinds of things. Some, sometimes a credit card will, a uh, credit card company will call you and say, look, uh, we know uh, you, you, may have been in London recently, but were, did you take out a big a lot of money yeah. for this thing in London, England? And you're like, I wasn't in England. What the heck is going on here? So um, anyway, just be aware. Be aware and strengthen numbers. You know, if, if it's good to have somebody else know about your account like that mm-hmm. be interesting to know you know um you know there's a whole other side of the argument too you know you want people to have autonomy so maybe it's almost like somebody might be offended that you have to call somebody but well these conversations you know. should be had with families yes right amongst yeah. families In and terms say of you know mom dad uh, um if you ever get a call like this don't say yes. Call me first. Let's figure this out. Have your person aware for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Anyway, good, good advice all around. And uh, hopefully they start uh, uh, making some real progress in getting these um, these grandparent scheme kind of uh things in hand, usually connected to organized crime, as the one that uh, we were talking about earlier today uh, is apparently, according to RCMP. We'll have more of that in news now with Noah Shepard with your news of the day, and stay tuned throughout the day tomorrow. We'll have continuing coverage of uh, what's happening in the Middle East and uh, also what's happening in your backyard. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening.